Hi guys, this is Emil from Everything Self. This podcast is about life obstacles, self-improvement, self-care, self-love. Welcome to Everything Self. So on today's podcast episode, we are going to talk about cognitive distortions. And there's so many different types. There is And I'm pretty sure a lot of people at least suffer from one of this, if not like several of them, um, me included, right? Um, So today we have another guest that's going to be joining us, Ayan, which, sorry, Ayan Direr is a Somali-American licensed professional counselor who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy. She's currently practicing in the United States. She has over seven years of experience in individual, family, and marital counseling. Her therapeutic approach involves meeting clients where they're at and supporting clients with challenging their negative belief systems to help them change how they view themselves. Welcome, Ayan. Thank you, Emil. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Ayan, and I'm so happy to be here on today's episode uh, to talk about, um, you know, the mind and, and cognitive distortions and, and how powerful um, those can be in impacting us in our daily lives. So thank you so much, Emil, for having me on today. So excited to have you. First of all, um, I know Ayan personally so Ayan and me are related and she's a good friend more than just family and so I love what she does um like I mentioned she is a licensed professional counselor and what better person to ask about you know what cognitive distortions are so I'm so excited for you to be here and maybe you can tell us what is um well, first of all, what is cognitive, like what are cognitive distortions? Sure. Um, it's, it's a great question. Um, if you, once I give the definition, I'm sure it'll sort of like resonate with um, you and, and your, your listeners. Um, talking about cognitive distortions, you can sort of think of them as erroneous patterns of thinking. And what do, what do I mean when I say that? Um, a lot of uh, the way we process information, a lot of our stress, our, our anxiety has to do with how we process information and how we think about things and how we interpret these things. And so cognitive distortions in essence are looked at as faulty or unhelpful uh, patterns of thinking. Um, oftentimes uh, they're very ingrained in us. They're ingrained in our subconscious and our conscious mind. Um, oftentimes they're learned patterns of unhelpful behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes in all honesty, they're sort of like defense mechanisms in that if we believe something so strongly, sometimes it's easier to just look at it in the way that we've always understood yeah. it and allowing that to kind of continue to affect how we what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, and how that in turn affects how we feel and and how we behave and act in our everyday lives. Wow. So it's like everything that's all around you and the way you think 
and the way you communicate, the way you understand things, the way you process things. So it's pretty much everything. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I figured it is because I mean, if if it's the way you perceive things and it's, you know, the way you respond to things and it's the way you process things, then it is pretty much everything, which I think is so important for people to know, because to be honest, I didn't even know that the, you know, all the following are classified as cognitive distortions, right? Like I started searching what, why people do what they do or um, why you you're, you're in so much of a habit of do, to, to do certain things, even though you want to make the change until until I started searching what subconscious minds was, I didn't even know what cognitive distortion was. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense now that I, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure I'll learn more as we're talking. So there's, you're telling me there's so many different types, right? Yeah, there's, there's in within um, the theoretical theoretical model of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, um, sort of what I specialize in and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really helpful. It's a really helpful therapeutic model that a lot of, um, therapists and counselors like to utilize because it really helps at kind of getting to the root cause of things and Mm -hmm. better understanding why we think, feel, and behave the way that we do. And that's always linked back to how do we process information? How do we interpret things? How do we um, think about the things that happen to us and really understanding that at its core? And so um, there's a, there's a few different um, types of categories of cognitive distortions, and um, we can sort of go, go through the list a little bit and, um, you know, definitely chime in if there's anything that, you know, I, I can certainly share if there's anything that I feel like I'm, you know, I'm sort of, um, it's a go-to for me or anything that sort of resonates with you. Oh, that's interesting. So you knowing, you know, what it exactly is and, you know, this is your field and, you know, you help people with, you know, this type of thing. It's a human thing, isn't it? So, I mean, you, you suffer or, you know, maybe not suffer, but like you can resonate with some of the things that, you know, is cognitive distortion, right? Absolutely. I, I don't think it's anything that really any of us can escape, you know, um, whether it's through our experiences or the way the way that we've been raised or just um, the, uh, the way that we've learned certain types of behaviors or learn, um, certain things about ourselves or even, you know, who we think that we are as people and how we fit in this world, you know, we're all sort of impacted, um, just like anyone can experience stress, anxiety, depression, um, based on like the different experiences and obstacles that they have, you know, nobody is sort of exempt from having, um, negative uh, thought patterns or negative automatic thoughts or, you know, cognitive distortions, because um, the way you sort of fight those things and challenge those things is, you know, you sort of can challenge your own thinking, but also, you know, increasing and improving communication with others can also help to address cognitive distortions and make you think, you know what, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be interpreting this thing in this negative way. You know, there's a different way to look at it. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to those interventions 
a little while later on how you can sort of combat those and address those. Yeah, it's very interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about the different types. I mean, is there so many different types? Um, you know, what are they? Yeah. Um, I'll start with what I think is maybe one of the most popular ones mm -hmm. and um, popular, not in a good way, but um, okay. one type of cognitive distortion that I think a lot of people um, can sort of relate to is what we call all or nothing uh, thinking. Um, it's also known as uh, black and white thinking. And um, it's, it's that belief that it's either this or that, you know, you're either good or you're bad. There's no you know, there's this inability or unwillingness to kind of see the shades of gray in between. Mm -hmm. And you sort of, anytime something happens to you, anytime someone says something to you, um, it's either at one extreme or the other. And, um, you know, it's either my way or the highway kind of person. <laughs> exactly. It's either you're, you're perfect or the moment something doesn't happen your way, or you make a mistake, I'm a complete and total failure. There's nothing in between. And that can be so harmful in just, you know, how you feel about yourself, your self-worth, your confidence. Um, and also in, in kind of like understanding that the people around you, you know, putting people in one category or another, mm -hmm. instead of trying to understand them as, as whole people. That's interesting. I do know a few people that are either black or white. <laughs> I never thought of it as, you know, cognitive distortion, but yeah. Okay. Um, what's another type? Um, another one that I think is, is pretty prevalent is, um, overgeneralizing or overgeneralizations. Mm -hmm. Um, it's exactly how it sounds. You know, it's where you take sort of like one instance, you know, one time something happens and then you use this, um, again, that black and white language of why does this always happen to me? Um, you know, if, if a relationship doesn't work out, um, the guy, the guys never choose me, you know, it's the never, the always, you know, that very powerful language where you feel like something is kind of attached to you in a negative way. Um, and it's through over general generalizations where you sort of, um, conclude that you're not worthy enough, you're not good enough, or that you're never going to be able to accomplish whatever, whatever it is that you're, um, striving for. Okay, so that could be like, you know, somebody going through a lot of negative things back to back, right? Mm -hmm. And this they just, always happens to me, right? That type of mindset where, oh, I'm, this always happens to me. Well, of course, nothing good's going to happen to me, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, well, this is getting interesting. So <laughs> what else is there? Yeah. Um, uh, I like that example that you brought up, you know, when you have um, a series of unfortunate events happen to you, you know, let's say um, a relationship ends, uh, you, you get a bad grade on an exam, um, you get into a fight with one of your close friends, you can sort of, um, you know, that, that can certainly lead to, to someone experiencing like depression or like anxiety or just this worry that, you know, their life is not going to turn around. Mm -hmm. And so, um, sort of connected to that is another cognitive distortion known as discounting the positive, um, where uh, you're so hyper-focused on all the negative things or the things that have gone wrong that, you know, you discount the promotion that you got at work or the great job that you did on a presentation in another class, 
or, um, you know, any of the good relationships that are going on in your life, whether it's with like family or friends, um, discounting the positive, uh, definitely happens pretty often. And, uh, it can be hard to sort of challenge that cognitive distortion in that, um, when you, when you're so hyper-focused or impacted by like really emotionally charged events in your life, because mm-hmm. you think about, if you think about it, how often do we, you know, when, when something good happens to you in your life, for example, yeah. and versus something bad, when something bad happens to your life, everybody wants to tell everybody about it. And so everyone's so hyper-focused on it. They're looking for support. They're looking for solutions. They're looking for Mm -hmm. empathy. You know, how often do we go and share the positive or the great things that are happening to us in our lives? Very rare, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, that That, that that, could be a lot of um, the way you were, you know, raised. Don't share all the great things that are happening in your life as well, you know. Right. I'm, you know, bad yeah. eye. Yeah. Yeah. You get the evil eye and all that. I actually, I'm, I consider myself, I didn't even know this was a cognitive, dis, you know, distortion, but I definitely can um, relate to discounting the positives because mm-hmm. sometimes I have to check myself. Mm-hmm. I, I do sometimes like I can go into that negative hole where I'm just like focused on the one thing that I didn't get or I put all my energy towards that and put myself into this deep, dark hole that I don't realize that I have so many other positive things that are going around, right? Mm-hmm. So I sometimes I have to like check myself. Well, okay, you didn't get that. Who cares? You have so many other things going on in your life. Like stop focusing on that one thing. And it's really hard to actually realize that if you are in that hole already. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very hard because you just focus on all the things that you don't have mm-hmm. versus the things that you do have. And I think that's where my aha moment was, was because um, I suffered from postpartum depression for a long time, probably like for up to the point that my daughter was a year and a half and I couldn't shake it. So it was like postpartum depression leading to regular depression, leading to that hole. And I just didn't know how to get out of it. And everything was just wrong and nothing was going my way. Of course, I mean, like it's 10 times, you know, magnified in my head than the way I'm telling you. But um, yeah, that's that's what kind of made me, you know, kind of like slowly drag myself out of that hole was looking at, you know, well, you're healthy, you have, a lot of people that love you, you have a daughter that's healthy and that loves you, you have an amazing house. What are you unhappy about? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's when you actually start asking yourself those tough questions. Well, what would you like to achieve that, you know, you're not achieving? Okay, well, that's one thing. Look at the other things that you've kind of achieved. So I feel like I definitely can relate to that cognitive distortion part. So, you know, enough with me. I'm pretty sure a lot of other people suffer from this as well. Um, what other, you know, cognitive distortions are there? Mm-hmm. Um, another one that's sort of like connected and, and, and you start to sort of see like a theme with all of these ones, right? You, they're, they're sort of connected, but they're a little bit different and just 
um, you know, the way that you uh, sort of process the information or the way that you look at situations. So yeah. along, you know, connected to discounting the positive, there's also what we call magnification or catastrophizing uh-huh. and minimizing. So with, you know, either magnifying or minimizing situations, it's also connected to discounting the positive, but you're also magnifying in some ways, the negatives that are happening. So for example, um, you may like exaggerate or minimize the meaning, importance, or likelihood of something happening to you. So, um, you may, uh, let's say, you know, you, you're up for a promotion at work and, uh, you have like a really big project that's that, that you're going to be presenting on. And, um, for whatever reason, it, it, it truly just doesn't go the way that you expect it to. And so you may magnify, you know, how much weight that one presentation is going to have that didn't go well and minimize, you know, who you are as an employee overall, you know, great attendance, doing your work all the time, great relationship, great reviews, uh, from your boss from previous years, but yet you're so hyper-focused or, uh, you know, you're, you're catastrophizing this one event that happened in this one moment of time and right. you're allowing it to kind of skew who you think you are as an employee or who you are in this, in this, uh, workplace environment. Interesting. Yeah. You're kind of right. A lot of them, um, do somehow connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there, you know, how many different types are there? Probably more than we have time to discuss today. (laughs) All right, let's focus on the ones because I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is number four or five, you know, but so, all right, let's, let's, let's talk about another one that you feel like, you know, a lot of us probably, you know, deal with. Yeah. All, um, there, there's two more that, that I think are really important for us to maybe touch upon and um, that, you know, even I can sort of connect to it in different ways. Um, the first one is uh, should statements. Mm-hmm. So it it's a very, this to me is kind of one of the, along with some of the others, but I think should statements for me personally, and in general, I think are particularly damaging distortion. Mm-hmm. Um these should statements are statements that, you know, sort of make you um, kind of talk yourself into thinking that where you are or what you're doing is just in, in some way or another, not enough. It's those statements where you say, I, I should have done this. I, I could have done X, Y, and Z, you know, um, I, you know, let's say you have, you know, all these commitments and obligations to other people, and you just didn't get enough sleep the night before, and you let one person down out of your, you know, 10 engagements, maybe you have in a day, I know, exaggeration, but um, that that one thing doesn't go according to plan, or, you know, you you forget something because you're human, you know, I should have been able to, you know, call that person, I should have been there for you, you know, all these, uh, that type of language, can be so strong and really impact who you think you're supposed to be mm-hmm. and cause you to have really unrealistic expectations and standards for yourself. Because if you think about it, oftentimes, you know, the, the, the level of compassion 
and empathy that we give our loved ones, our friends, our family, our partners um, is not the same compassion or level of compassion or even close to it that we give to ourselves. And so why is it that, you know, we expect, you know, for the perfectionists out there, and I feel like I'm guilty of this. Uh, I am a Virgo, so... You know, I feel like that's something that you and I sort of relate. Right. Um, And, um, you know, you set these such high expectations and standards for yourself. And it's almost like you got to take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, why, why do I think that I ought to, or I should be able to, or that I could have done this impossible feat when nobody in the world is capable of doing these things that we try to sometimes expect from ourselves. Right. So it could be like, you're overstretching yourself. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, like, (laughs) is that a good thing or a bad thing now that I think of it? Because now that you said it in that way, I'm just kind of like, hold on, I have that too. (laughs) Well, I I think the problem is with the should statements, you know, and this can extend to, you know, other people, right? You know, if if we feel slighted by someone, um, you know, we may say in an argument, well, you should have been able to do this because maybe we could have been able to do the very thing that we were expecting from them, but we have to allow people to be who they are. We can't impose the same expectations that we have for ourselves on others. And that's, you know, something that you sort of learn as you develop, you know, healthy relationship skills. But um, the problem with the should statements is, um, you know, sort of the overcritical nature of those statements on on yourself, on your self-esteem, on your self-worth and on your, um, your, your confidence and your ability to kind of achieve the things that, that you want to do. And, and in sort of framing the person that you want to be in the world, and there's nothing wrong with being a high achiever. Nobody's saying that, but when it sort of extends to, you know, expecting a certain level of like perfectionism where you never make mistakes or, where your mistakes are magnified and your, your accomplishments or victories are minimized. That's when the real damage is sort of like created and becomes like ingrained in you and who you are. And that's when you want to sort of look out for these um, unhealthy patterns and behaviors, Mm -hmm. because then it can lead to you sort of like comforting yourself in, in unhealthy ways. Interesting. I have another question regarding this. So let's say you don't have that kind of mindset, but let's say someone's expecting something of you and you hear it so many times, like, oh, let's say you come back from work and you've had a long day at work and people are still expecting, or your husband or your family members are still expecting food on that table for you to do everything else. And if you don't meet those standards, they kind of say, well, um, you could have done this or you should have done this. Does it eventually lead you to actually believe it yourself? Absolutely. And, you know, conversely, ML, you bring a really great point because if you already believe in your own brain that you should be able to do these things, and then you hear that critique from your loved ones, well, why could, why isn't dinner on the table? Well, you should have been able, you, you've been home for an hour. You should have been able to do something. Right. It magnifies the impact of 
that statement on how you feel and what you think about yourself and, you know, you know, feeling like you're a failure or you're not like meeting these standards, not just the standards that you have on yourself, but maybe even like the standards or expectations that others have put on you. And that can lead to resentment that can lead to really unhealthy relationships, um, a whole, a whole slew of things. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause yeah. I do know a lot of people, um, deal with that. Like, like, let's say I, I haven't been working for a while. So A, B, C, D has been done all the time, but now that, you know, cause you know, dealing with COVID at these times, a lot of people probably got laid off. Um, mm-hmm. and some people are going back to work. So you're not meeting all the expectations that you've been previously meeting or in general, let's just say, you know, you have more tasks to accomplish and then, you know, people expect you to do what you've already been doing. And so that can trigger and start all that negative pattern in your brain, which also leads to you actually, um, you know, if you have loved ones, you're not going to say, well, I can't do this, right? You're going to try to meet what, you know, meet that, those standards that you've set yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- that's a little tough one. This is where, you know, boundaries are so important because, you know, if you, thinking along the lines of the power of, of these different types of uh, cognitive distortions, especially with the sh- should statements and, you know, expectations that loved ones may place on you um, because you, you've always, you know, maybe been able to like manage all these expectations that others have had of you, you know, it's so important to, to know what healthy boundaries are. It's so important to be able to say no, you know, it, it's unhealthy if, if all you ever say is yes, because, you know, you kind of have to stop yourself and ask yourself, you know, why am I sort of overexerting myself or pushing myself to like the point of exhaustion mentally and physically and emotionally? Um, you know, what, what sort of unrealistic ideal am I perhaps chasing or is it, you know, uh, something else someone put it on you. Exactly. That too. Interesting. Right. Okay. Is there any other cognitive distortions that we should talk about? Um, the last one that I think is sort of important to mention is, uh, and it's a really great one in this social media era is, uh, personal, personalizing or personalizations. Mm-hmm. And um, this particular cognitive distortion involves um, taking every little thing, every bit of information or event that happens personally, or assigning some sort of blame to yourself without any logical reason to believe that you are actually the person to blame. Does that, does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I probably need some therapy after this. <laughs> You're pointing out a lot of things. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, whoa, I think I suffer from three of these. I don't even think I want to go through the rest of the list. <laughs> it it oh can be God. overwhelming when you hear all of these things all at once because it really help. It really sort of forces you to think, you know, wow, you know, I've, I've done that before. And all of these, it's normal. The thing is, ML, the point of bringing these up is not to, you know, they're called erroneous patterns of thinking. It's not to say that, you know, anyone who, su- who suffers from some of these distortions is 
a bad person, not intelligent or anything right. like that. It's, it's more so the way that we've maybe been like conditioned to process information. Right. And, you know, the, the great thing about it is we can unlearn some of these behaviors. We can unlearn and change the way that we process the information and the way that we, we think about these things so that they no longer have such a stronghold on our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like, I can definitely relate to, to personalization as well. I mean, I think um, depending on the way that, that people have grown up, um, if, you're, if you're someone who's sort of um, sensitive or even emotionally intelligent mm-hmm. and can, um, is like really compassionate and really good at kind of being there and supporting people, um, you know, growing up in a Somali household, you know, as yeah. you know, the, the eldest daughters, you know, you're kind of sort of put into that role, whether or not you want to be, and it's very maternal and, and you're a mom and you're a wife. And so, um, yeah. it, it's so it's, it's almost like other people's feelings are already put into your hands, whether or not you want them to be. Oh, goodness. And, <laughs> so many. <laughs> So with, with personalizing, you know, you could, um, in the age of social media, I was making a joke in the beginning, but you know, you may see someone like retweet a meme or maybe like someone that you're dating might post something. And you, you sort of wonder like, oh my God, is that a subliminal tweet? Was that at me? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, If you're having like an issue with one of your girlfriends or like a family member, you know, people have a right to express themselves in any way that they want to but sometimes you kind of see these subliminal messages and um sometimes it's they are you know directed at you and they do have you know maybe you did something to another person and they are rightfully and truthfully upset with you over it but the thing with personalizing is where it becomes dangerous is when you take responsibility for all the negative emotions around you, whether that's with your family, your your husband, your kids, your um, coworkers, you know, have you ever found yourself in a position where um, you told somebody no, you know, you just didn't have the time to to do whatever with somebody, go out with them, you know, um, do a task for them or help them on a project, and it didn't and go well, where it didn't go well, they got upset, yeah, and you know, you, you tend to like feel a little bit of blame. You tend to feel a little bit of shame or guilt around it because, you know, they're upset with you, but other people's emotions are not our responsibility. They're okay to be upset, Mm -hmm. but we're also, we also have a right to say no and, and protect our energy and protect our time. And just because someone says no, doesn't mean, and, and gets upset just because we say no, and someone gets upset about it, we shouldn't automatically think, okay, this is a conditional relationship, or this is transactional. I have to do stuff for you in order for, for the relationship to, to kind of exist and, and operate. You know, what happened to this idea of like conditional love or relationships without conditions, just because you and I get into a disagreement or I do something that you don't like, you know, if the relationship ends because of it, you know, was it really a relationship that was worth preserving? Of course. True. Good point. I probably feel guilty if it's one of my parents. That parental guilt is, is very real. <laughs> yeah. Cause, um, I am like, you know, 
well, I'm not the oldest child. I'm the second oldest. But of course, being the female, technically, you are the oldest. Yeah. <laughs> so if my parents ask something of me, I feel like I have to do it. Mm-hmm. And if I say no, and they feel some type of way, that just automatically makes me feel guilty and shameful. So I find some sort of, you know, way to just get it accomplished and just get it done with. So I don't hear, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't hear what they have to say right after. So it's just like, it turns into this. Yes. Okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever you want. Let me just take that care of that. Cause then I think about it and I'm like, if I don't do it, then I don't know if the rest of my siblings will do it. And, you know, they ask me, so I might as well just do it. Mm-hmm. And of course, like you said, it does tend to, um, make you feel guilty or shameful for saying no. So that's a tricky one too. How do you navigate that? Because like, I feel like it's easier for me when it comes to friends. Mm -hmm. Like I could be like, well, no, I'm busy. I'm sorry. I can't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I mean, as, as if, if my relationship ends with you, was it, you know, really a relationship, but what do you do when it's actually a family member that even if you say no and they're upset, you still have to see them in family functions <laughs> or your own parents. How do you navigate through that? That's a very good question. And I'm sure if I had the answer, I would be very, very rich. <laughs> right. But I think, I think the thing that makes it tricky is, you know, when you bring, let's just we won't even say religion, we'll bring culture into it. Right. Yeah. You know, there's certain, um, cultural expectations in, um, how we, we view or we revere our parents and you always want to make sure that you respect them. And, you know, they've provided you and provided us with like so much our entire lives. And so on the one hand, there's that like sense of duty and that sense of like honor to make sure that we're always there and always providing. Yeah. And, protecting and taking care of our parents and and not saying, you know, you grow up learning, you don't say no to your parents, you know, mm-hmm. you're obedient, you do as they need and you, you be there for them. Like they've always been there for you. But I think also too, on the other hand, there needs, it's almost like a delicate balance that needs to exist where, you know, you communicate that, Hey, um, I'm, I'm really sorry, mom or Hoya, you know, I, I don't think that I'm going to have time for this, but, um, you know, maybe and suggest like another sibling who can maybe kind of step up because I think sometimes the, you know, and and here's like another cognitive distortion that may exist in this example, you know, we sometimes think because, you know, maybe you've always played that role within your family unit or your family dynamic. And you always think, you know, the guilt may come from if I say no, nobody else will step up. But conversely, what if you said no and you stepped back? Would that leave the opportunity for someone else to step up? It's possible, but I don't know if, you know, um, we give enough of those opportunities to kind of see what would happen. Right. And that, that's probably something I've, you know, done as well because I'd just be like let me just get it over with right because I'm pretty sure the rest of them would not do it exactly in the same way they would want and it's probably because my parents are so used to asking me that sometimes you know they'll just rather for me to do what they're requesting of me because they're so used to me being there and doing it in the same way they want me to do whatever it is Mm -hmm. 
rather than, you know, trusting somebody new or another sibling to do it. But that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Interesting. So per personalization as well. Um, I kind of looked into it as well. It could also come with um, a lot of the blame. Mm -hmm. um, so I was reading this thing that said some people, you know, they blame other people or their circumstances for their problems. And they kind of overlook ways that may be contributing to the problem. So for example, um, saying the reason my marriage is so lousy is because my spouse is totally unreasonable. So mm -hmm. blame usually doesn't work very well because other people will resent you just, you know, tossing it all right on them. Because what happens is usually they just toss it back on your lap, right? Right. It's, it's kind of like the game of hot potato. No one wants to get stuck with it. So, I mean, I don't know. And then personalization could be like, let's say you got a note from one of your kid's teachers saying, you know, one of your kids had some difficulties at school and, you know, the mother just automatically says, this shows what a bad mother I am. Instead of, you know, trying to pinpoint the cause of the problem so that she could be beneficial and helpful to the child itself. She, you know, automatically personalizes it and says, this is just showing how bad of a mother I am. Mm -hmm. Would that be kind of an accurate example? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at it from sort of like the other side of the coin with personalizing, right? Mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the one side where you, you think everything's your fault, you blame yourself, but then there's there, absolutely there's the other side where you take no responsibility and you blame, you know, you take no accountability, excuse me, and where you sort of like blame the situation, the circumstances around you, the other people involved, and that, that can also be a little dangerous because, you know, that's when you sort of want to ask yourself, you know, am I, is this, what does my reality really look like? Is this really a true picture or depiction of what's going on? Or do I need to look at it from a different lens so that I can have healthier communications and so that I can have, um, healthier relationships with, with the people involved, um, so that I'm not, you know, always looking at it from the kind of like that, maybe like that victim mentality yeah. where again, this all, you know, this always happens to me. Mm -hmm. People are always doing these, you know, negative or these bad things to me. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So let's talk about what are the different you know, what can we do? Cause I mean, like I'm already suffering from three of these. <laughs> what, I mean, thanks for pointing them all out better knowing now than, you know, never, but I mean, I didn't even realize half of this was, you know, cognitive distortion, but I mean, Hey, we're, we're here to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are different ways that you could deal with this? I mean, like I heard about, you know, cognitive therapy, mm -hmm. um, or I don't know what it's called. Is it called, what is it called? And what, what's the different kind of treatments that you can, you know, seek? Mm -hmm. You're, you're absolutely right. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy or, um, CBT. Right. And, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of information out there about CBT. There's a lot of therapists and counselors who, um, 
either use uh, cognitive behavioral therapy as their primary treatment modality, right. or um, they use CBT interventions, which can be really helpful um, because oftentimes, you know, when we we have a hard time sort of like regulating our emotions, they kind of go up and down. If we suffer from like anxiety, uh, depression, um, not it doesn't have to be like a clinical diagnosis, but you know, everybody experiences some level of anxiety. Everyone experiences some symptoms of depression, you know, from right. time to time. Right. Um, no one's saying you need to have these clinical diagnoses to kind of, um, have CBT work for you, right. but, um, uh, what can be, I think the power in using CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy or the interventions of CBT is that, you know, you can address, you know, you can talk about, you know, past traumas, right. Yeah. And you can, you know, learn to like forgive or like move on from those things. Um, if you're hyper-focused on like the future, you know, you can use like mindfulness techniques to kind of have you be more present and focus on like the here and now. But I think the power in CBT is that you challenge potentially damaging patterns of thinking that affect your daily life. If you think about it every day from the moment you wake up, you have, there's thoughts in your head, right? You know, most, most of us have thoughts in our head, right? Um, There's, there's information that comes at us. When I say information, I mean, from your first interact, you know, if you're married, your first interaction with your spouse in the morning or your children or um, your commute into work, you know, the different stuff that happens at work when you come home from work, you know, you're constantly thinking about different things. You're processing the events that happen to you. You're responding to those events as well and interpreting the different interactions that, that, um, that you go through each day. Right. Yeah. And so the way you process that information a lot of that is based on your uh, frame of mind and the the uh, thought patterns and the ways that you've already sort of constructed how you process information. And if those patterns of thinking are more skewed towards like the negative where you're not, you know, you're discounting the positive or you're you're personalizing too much or you're magnifying the negative stuff and minimizing um, your accomplishments. Um, that's not really a healthy way to, to sort of live your life. And if you're only looking at things from like an all or nothing type of thinking, black and white or overgeneralizing or jumping to conclusions, it can be really hard for you to be trusting of others, be trusting yeah. of yourself. Um, and so what I love about CBT is that, um, you know, if you work with, um, therapy is a great place to start, you know, um, not just with like the therapist getting to know you, but the therapist really understanding how do you view yourself? How do you view yourself in the world that you exist in? And, you know, the different things that happen, you know, what are the important things or the things that you kind of like hyper-focus on, you know, is it, is it work that's causing the most amount of stress right now? Are you unhappy at work? Do you feel like you're not, you know, another, a cognitive distortion that I have is, you know, this thought of I'm not good enough, right? I'm not, you know, sometimes it's like the imposter syndrome, right? Where you feel like you're not competent or, you know, I, right. you know I've had schooling for X amount of years, but still, you know, 
well, I know there are people who have like 10 years more experience than I do. And so, you know, whatever it is that's sort of holding you back. And I think if we really all kind of like sit down, whether it's through like journaling or um, when, so I'm sorry, I'm a little all over the place, but if you, if you start your morning with um, some journaling or uh, what we call like a thought record, yeah. I think something that's really powerful, like if you do for like seven days straight and kind of like reflect on is every morning you wake up, write down the first three thoughts that come into your head. What are you thinking about? You know, don't grab your phone. Don't think about the alarm, you know, is the first thought, oh my God, I really don't want to get out of bed. Yeah, and that's what it usually is. <laughs> <laughs> the next thought is you're thinking about traffic and then you're thinking about, oh my God, I have to iron my clothes. You know, th- these are thoughts that I also have. And so right. if you write down the, th- the three things that come into your head every morning for seven days straight and yeah. then sit down after that week and look at those things, it, I think that gives you so much insight and, and power and kind of tells you, you know, what are you focusing on? Is it, is it more negative? Is it more positive? What are small little things that you can do to, to tweak it so that you have a, a better morning and something that can kind of, something that can kind of help with that is, and I love this one, it's gratitude journaling. Hmm. Interesting. I know a lot, a lot of people don't like to write and a lot of people don't like to journal. And I know it's kind of hard to, to sit down and force yourself to do it, but you can make anything into a habit. But once you kind of understand, you know, how is it that I start every morning, whether you do it first thing in the morning, which I think may be a little bit more powerful or impactful or late at night, like at night, right before you go to bed, mm-hmm. you know, identifying three things that you're grateful for. And doing that for like 21 days so that it, become a, it can become a habit. If you start your day, instead of focusing on everything that you have to do and that you don't want to do and yeah. switch that to, I'm great. I'm grateful. You know, the, I kind of have sheer blinds in my bedroom. And so every morning when the sun comes in, I feel happy. The sun makes me personally happy. And so if, if that's one of the things that I identify in the morning, that's going to completely change your mindset. So that when, if, and when bad things or negative things happen to you throughout your day, you're not already starting in a deficit. You're starting in the positives, right? And the day can only kind of, it can go up, but it can also go down from there, right? Right. If you start off in the, in the deficit, you start off already thinking about your, your mind frame, uh, your um, mindset is already like on the negative end of things you know how hard it is to kind of like pull yourself up out of that as opposed to starting with gratitude and starting that would be a long day (laughs) right and imagine having that long day day after day after day you know it's a hard way to live that's interesting I love that and so do you in order for you because I know a lot of people don't even think about what are the thoughts that they have during the day. I mean, unless something's happened then they, you know, they think about it, but you know, that's interesting to point out that as soon as you wake up, you do have thoughts and like, we, we kind of forget. Yeah. I don't want to get off this bed is a thought, you know, (laughs) that is a thought. That is something I have all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. I suffer from every single day before I have to go to work. 
as soon as I wake up and I'm just like, oh, I can't believe I have to go to work. <laughs> but every day, but then you know what? I am grateful to be up. I am grateful to have work. So, I mean, I guess it's a, it's a habit, right? Mm-hmm which is interesting to point out. And so you said CBT, you know, treatment, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, A lot of people feel like, you know, they, there's this taboo about therapy and doing all this, but in order for you to seek therapy, wouldn't you have to, well, I mean, let's say you already kind of understand from, let's hope this episode that there are a lot of different types, right? And, you know, hearing this, you can tell that, you know, I myself suffer from a few of these. And um, Ayan being our licensed therapist, you know, said herself that it's normal, right? And she has probably one or two of these, right? Yes. And so um, if I was to say, well, I don't want to seek therapy and I really don't feel like I need therapy, which is a lot of people's mindset. Mm-hmm. How do you even start, you know, understanding what to do? So I would say if you at least understand the behavior first, then you really, I don't think that you yourself could process or try to change these things. Whereas a therapist, you know, talking to them, getting to know them, they, they can identify these easily, you know, as this is their field. Um, Whereas if you were looking to do it yourself, then maybe have a lot of self-awareness, pay attention to yourself. And like Ayan said, think about your thoughts, write them down. Maybe then you can establish, you know, noticing a pattern, if that makes sense. So what would you say, Ayan, for people that you know, I am sure a few people will be saying that they, they, they do not need to seek therapy. Mm-hmm. What, what would you input? Yeah, in? no, that's definitely a great question. And I, I completely understand, you know, the reservations about going to therapy and, and opening up to a stranger and um, finding a good therapist is not easy. You know, I would, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to be completely transparent here. It's, it's almost like, you know, finding a good relationship, right? You want to make sure you find someone that uh, you can sort of relate to, to a certain degree, you know, your therapist is of course not your friend or anything like that, but you know, um, I am not embarrassed to say that I see a therapist, even though I'm in the field myself, I think everybody could benefit from, from having an outside perspective and having someone unbiased who has no connection to your life in any way, shape or form that you can sort of bounce ideas off of. And that's not to say that you can't find that in your friendships, your family relationships or um, colleagues at work, but it's, it's a different type of relationship in that um, with uh, working with like a licensed professional, um, you know, what I, again, love about CBT is when you work with a, a therapist who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy, the emphasis is actually on helping individuals learn how to be their own therapist, which is, I'm, I'm glad you kind of like brought that up, ML. You know, some people don't yeah. feel yeah. like 
you know, they, they yeah, want yeah. to sort of like do it on their own or they feel like they don't need it. But mm-hmm. the power in CBT is kind of learning the interventions, learning the techniques, right? And of course you could be self-taught, but sometimes it helps to have someone kind of guide you and provide you with examples. Um, with CBT, oftentimes like in session, I have given, you know, my clients, you know, I'll put this in air quotes, homework assignments, right? You know, whether that's like a worksheet that maybe describes one of the cognitive distortions that we talked about, or, um, you know, a, a assignment where it has you sort of keep when something positive happens, keeping a thought record, what emotions came up for you? Why did those emotions come up for you? You know, helping clients kind of better understand um, their own behaviors, what motivates them, what motivates other people, and really just helping people to kind of like build that awareness about themselves and also in processing the information and the people around them, right? Because that can be kind of tricky. Understanding, you know, I think everybody you know, benefits from like really great, healthy human connection and human relationships, but they can be very tricky to understand, right? Because we, yeah. you know, we're all very, you know, unique and, and different people, not to mention all the baggage you've carried with you all these years or what's been passed onto you from your parents and family members. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Interesting. Um, and I love that you mentioned you as a therapist, you know, you do have a, you do go to therapy sessions, you know, that's, that's amazing. And so that just shows, I mean, it's, it's just this different kind of unbiased communication that, you know, you could have, I mean, I, I do have a therapist as well. And guys, this could be a hit and miss. You can, um, like Ayan said, um, you can meet different therapists and you know maybe one doesn't work out for you that doesn't mean the process isn't amazing or rewarding right I mean I I had a therapist last year and I mean I probably went twice and was like I'm done <laughs> right but the, the one I'm currently seeing um I mean it is COVID so there are there are different ways of you um trying to get a therapist. You can do it online. There's different websites. Um, I'm using BetterHelp. I'll link it down below. Um, But they kind of connect you with someone um, from the same, let's say they ask you what your background is, what you're seeking, what's, are, you know, are you from a certain culture? And they'll kind of connect you with someone. That's the one I'm personally using, BetterHelp. But therapist I'm with right now, I'm, I adore her, right? Like Mm -hmm. we get each other. She's someone that I can quickly talk to, tell her what my thoughts are, how I'm processing things, what's kind of happened. And so it's, it's like a healthy relationship and she checks me right away. And I like that. (laughs) She, she does, she does give me, and it's easier to receive it from someone that you know is unbiased. Whereas like us as human beings, when we kind of receive something from like a loved one or your partner you kind of feel like that's kind of an attack or like a dig so you don't receive it as well Mm -hmm. so I prefer people you know seeking therapy and you know is there anything else do you want to add to this yeah um you know I I know that and 
you know, I thank you for sharing your experience too, because you're absolutely right. You know, finding a, a good therapist or someone that you feel like you, there's a good connection where you feel comfortable enough to sort of open up can be a bit of a challenge and it's sort of a, an, an ongoing process. But um, if you're not feeling ready to take that, that step, because it is, you know, it is a, a big decision for you to take. Um, what you can do is um, there are a lot of like really great podcasts out there. Some run by licensed therapists or licensed psychologists. Like one I really like is called um, Therapy for Black Girls. Um, there's also uh, the Terry Cole Show. Um, Terry is T-E-R-R-I Cole, C-O-L-E. Um, she's more like a relationship therapist, I would say, based out of New York. Um, so there's a lot of good, good information out there. Uh, there's also, I love, and I don't know if you've read any of her books, Brene Brown. Yeah, definitely. She's awesome. She writes her. a lot of, I love like all of her books. Um, one of my favorite books by her is called uh, The Gifts of Imperfection. And actually that book sort of goes through some of these cognitive distortions that we talked about, gives really great examples of them, and then also provides examples of uh, interventions and techniques that you can try to utilize to help you um, break down some of these um, or change some of these thinking patterns. Um, so there, there is a lot of great information out there if you're more interested in kind of uh, doing the, going the self-exploration route. Um, yeah. definitely make sure that, you know, I would just recommend making sure that if you're going that route to kind of vet your sources and make sure that you're going to people who are licensed or people who, um, have, uh, I guess like good reviews and who, who, who are like subject matter experts. Um, yeah, makes sense. Of course. You know, and because I, just to mention, we are going to, sorry for cutting you off, Ayan, we are going to, um link everything down below um all the you know the definition and what the list of you know cognitive distortions are and um the book author mm -hmm. podcasts everything we discuss will be linked down below just so you can be able to access it as well is there anything else you wanted to add to it i feel like you know, this was a great conversation. I don't even know how long we've been talking, but um, I personally gained from it. And um, I didn't even know this was classified as cognitive distortions. So I'm glad you are definitely helping and that you came on here. Um, is there anything else you would like to add, Ayan? We definitely need you for future episodes too. Yeah, I, I'd, lo I'd love to come back. Um, but um, no, I just want to thank you for, for sort of getting this conversation started. Um, I think there's power in sort of normalizing, um, you know, some of these things that we all sort of go through. I think sometimes um, there's, there's a sense of shame in feeling like you're the only person that thinks this way, or, you know, maybe you overgeneralize things or the way we interpret the things that happen to us and even even text messages right yeah. the way the way we kind of interpret the the conversations and the interactions that we have have such a profound effect on us that that we sometimes don't give credit to and so i think it's so important to make sure that 
we all kind of like look at these different things and um, the only way that we sort of get better and evolve and really come into uh, the people that we're sort of like destined to become is yeah. by addressing these things. And um, I just thank you for, ha for having me on and, you know, starting the conversation. Yeah, this is definitely a conversation that is needed. And uh, like you mentioned, let's normalize these topics. It's something everybody deals with. Um, and let's just talk about these things instead of talking about <laughs> all the nonsense that we kind of are so used to talking about, right? I mean, I don't want to hear about what you went, why you went shopping, what you found. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people, that's what we kind of normally talk about on a daily basis. So this is a way of discovering, like Ayan said, um, your best self and, you know, becoming that person. So a lot of self-awareness, self-evaluation, everything self, basically. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, all right, Ayan. Um, Thank you for joining us once again. And everybody, I hope you kind of took something from this. Um, like I said, once again, we will link everything down below. Um, and, you know, let's start a discussion. Tell me down below, what do you, you know, kind of take away from this episode? And what cognitive distortion do you have? Because I know you definitely have one, probably a little bit more like, you know, I do. So let's start this conversation. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.